Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Doing It at Home podcast. Big shout out and thank you to our podcast network, Parents on Demand, our family that we are a part of, our our home, as it were, where we reside. And you can check us out along with the other shows that are a part of Parents on Demand or Pod if you prefer to say it that way. So you can download the app, which is awesome, in your iOS or your Android device, listen to the show, and just go check it out. It's a great space to get everything parenting, podcasting, relating. (laughs) Parenting, podcast, related, I guess I should say. Anyways, and the ways you can connect with us, our Instagram, D-I-A-H podcast, our Facebook page, Doing It at Home. We have a private Facebook group for the community as well. And get your gear, support the show, get your Doing It at Home shirt or tank or sweatshirt or hoodie. And all of that is in the show notes for you as well. Or you can go to our website, diahpodcast.com. We have an awesome birth story for you today. I'm really excited to share. It's a full house. So we have Becca James Esposito and her husband, Mark, joins us for a little bit of the conversation and even baby Evan, because he knew we were talking about him. So he had to be a part as well. And I love it. So we talk with Becca about the decision to home birth and how that was inspired by aspects of her first birth with her son, Tucker, that left her, the way she put it, she wanted a do-over. And I can totally get that. And when you hear her story, you'll you'll kind of see why, just some of the elements and how it just did not align with the birth that she wanted to create. And so she moved into the second birth with that on her spirit and on her mind. And there were some curveballs thrown in there as far as planning for the home birth, namely that baby Evan, they noticed, had a cleft lip or a cleft palate possibly. And, you know, that brought with it new set of complications and things to navigate, learn about, become advocates for research and how that all played a part in their decision-making process. And that's a new topic for the show. So we have not discussed cleft lip, cleft lip, excuse me, or palate on the show. And so I love the perspective that Becca brings and what she's able to shed light on. So if you are experiencing that, or you know, someone who's experiencing that, this is a great episode for you. And, you know, one of the things that Becca wanted me to mention and impress is that if you are experiencing that and you do want to have a home birth, you know, along with all the other things to, to figure out just to make sure that your care provider, your midwife is very confident and strong in resuscitation, because that could be one of the things that comes up in the, in the birth experience with a baby with cleft lip or cleft palate, which we'll get into more of that. And you'll kind of get some context for that, but she just wanted me to share that just to, to make sure that your care provider or whoever you're working with is well-versed in that and understands the, all of 
you know, the intricacies of that. So I appreciate her for sharing that with us and, you know, to, to normalize all the things to continue to learn the, the variations and the things that come up and how we can move through it empowered and educated and supported. And so that's what this is. And I love it. And it's awesome. And we're going to dive into that right after this word from our sponsor. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, Becca, welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Awesome. I'm excited to have you here and to chat babies and birth. And it's just what we do here. So I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, great. Me too. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Um, so why don't you share a little bit about you and your family? Okay. Um, I am a scientist at Hopkins. So I'm a, actually a developmental neuroscientist. So I'm super into just development in general, like embryology and stuff. And then, you know, getting into birth was pretty natural and easy for me. Um, I'm married to Mark. He's a high school math teacher. Um, he's really, you know, kind of a hero when you think about it, because kids are pretty hard and math is pretty hard too. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. Then we have Tucker. He's four. Um, he's an angel minus all the sass right now of a four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> And then Evan is 10 months old and he's just a joy. Mm, I love it. Um, And just so, you know, heads up listener, Mark is going to join us here in a bit. He's just doing some daddy duty. So we plan to have him in here to get his perspective on things. So if you hear someone pop on, that's what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) In and out, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get it. So, okay. So let's, why home birth? Why home birth for you, Becca? I'm I'm wondering too, if, because it did for me, if some ears kind of perk up and you are a scientist and development and um, to bring that perspective, I think is very cool because of, you know, a lot of misconceptions and things around home birth, which we just talked about recently on the show. So to have your perspective and to also be choosing home birth, I'm sure is, is appealing or interesting for, for others who might be like minded. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess maybe it would be helpful to start at the beginning because initially, so with Tucker, right. I didn't know anything about birth, but I'm a scientist. So I reach research things like crazy. That's just kind of what I do. So I started like getting into the birth world and like learning more about birth in general. And I saw the business of being born as most people have. And I was like, Whoa, the entire birthing system is broken in this country. I don't want to, I don't want to have a baby in a hospital. That's scary, you know? And, um, so I kept doing a little bit more research, but we weren't really like ready for home birth, home birth. What I was thinking I would have liked to have done was a birth center at the time. Um, but the closest one was like an hour away and I was like dreading being in labor in a car. Um, and so I was just kind of like on the fence about the whole thing. And my brother-in-law is actually an OB. Okay he's delivered like 4,500 plus babies. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. And when he found out that I was contemplating home birth, of course, he brought me all the scary stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much what people in the, the medical world do. I think they only see the bad. They don't see the overwhelming good. Right. 
so he shared a scary story with me that just kind of like totally freaked me out. And I was like, okay, we're going to stick with the hospital. This was, I was probably like 32 weeks pregnant with Tucker at the time. And, um, and I decided to switch to a midwife. Like I had been reading like Ina May Gaskin books and I was like, totally my headspace was in the right place for like birthing at home, but I was just too scared. So I switched at least from the OB to a midwife and I felt better about that decision. And I had like this really detailed birth plan about how we were going to try to create a home-ish atmosphere in the hospital. We chose a hospital in the area that at least had like a birthing tub. So I thought I could at least have the water birth. And, you know, we, we were going to bring in led lights and have this music and this, you know, decorations and stuff. And I snuck in snacks, even though I know they tell you not to eat. <laughs> I can't imagine not eating. So rebel. Yeah. Little did I know I would not be eating or drinking anything really. Mm. Yeah. So I was just like, how can I make this as close to home birth as possible in the hospital? And I should mention too, that one of my, one of my best friends, she's like my soul sister. She was going to be my doula. Um, she had been do- doing like doula training and I was going to be her first like, you know, live birth. And she had had actually both of her kids at home. Gosh, she's mm little bit older her kids are now out of the house but so she's like been around births and she was prepared for everything so should I just keep going I don't know yeah sure so based on (laughs) no you're you're doing great based on that experience what had you want to do things differently or what things kind of left a mark on you so to speak as far as why you wanted to do home birth yeah so um so our hospital experience and our birth got totally derailed. And this is mostly my fault. In retrospect, I take, you know, responsibility for this because baby was 10 days past due. And at that point in time, like we had been hiking, I had had my best friend living in my house for two weeks, you know, there was like some some tension in the house about, you know, three people living together and just trying to navigate all of that. And um it it was just a little murky and I was just ready for it to be done. So I had the brilliant idea that I was going to do that midwifery cocktail, the castor oil cocktail. Right. Okay. So it's like, you know, a tablespoon of castor oil and a tablespoon of vodka and a tablespoon of orange juice. And you're supposed to drink that four times, like an hour spaced apart. Mm. And I think I did three of them and I was like, I'm not doing the third, no way. Or the fourth, no way. And this was like in the evening on a Saturday, which was not smart. And within two hours after taking the last one, labor hit me like a ton of bricks in the face. It was crazy. Like I started having contractions as soon as it started. You know what castor oil does, right? Like you're to the toilet. It's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you could see my face right now just in feeling for you in that process. Just from the first sip to now, like where you're painting the picture of, I'm like, ooh. It was awful. And, and mind you, I had tried like every other yeah. natural. Like I had been like, you know, stimulating my nipples yeah. with sage burning in my face while I'm eating, <laughs> like doing all the things, trying to get this baby to come. This is after like days of hiking and, and he was just not having it. Yeah. Um. So then I, you know, did the castor oil and I'm confined to the toilet, having contractions like every 30 seconds apart. It was just like, boom. And, and it was, it was scary. You know, it was scary. Sure. It came on and, you know, how much like bright red blood there is. You know, they tell you about bloody show. Sorry if that's gross, but um, 
Oh, no. You're, you know, like people, <laughs> you know, you read online, you're going to have bloody show, but no one says what that what that looks like or what that is, you know, how bright that is or okay. can't be, and that that's normal, you know, and people need to hear that's normal. It can be a bad sign if you see a lot of, you know, that, but it can be normal, but I freaked out. So pretty much as soon as we could get me off the toilet, we went into the hospital per the midwife. Um, and in retrospect, I probably should have labored at home longer, but I was having like these crazy, they, the contractions weren't lasting, you know, whatever it is, like four, one, one, they weren't lasting a minute, but they were like every 30 seconds. So it was intense. And we went in, which was probably premature, but I was having like insane back labor. It was terrible. Are you still there? Yes. Okay. Sorry. My screen went dark and I wasn't sure. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we went in and like, and I just continued to labor and it was awful. It was all in my back, all of the pain in my back. It was like a sledgehammer beating my tailbone over and over and over again. And I was not at all prepared for that, for back labor. And, um, you know, the only way I could get, when I got there, the tub was in use, the, the birthing tub was in use. So I went into another room that had a shower, but the water wasn't working. Oh. <laughs> some awful reason. And there was just no relief to be found. And I had been like super committed to this natural birth. Like I'm going to this. So I labored like that in excruciating pain for like 12 and a half hours. Eventually the water came on and I was able to get like mild relief during contractions in the shower with like the hottest water, like angled right at my, my spine, the base of my spine. And Mark was like, cause I, I feel claustrophobic and like steam. I, I don't like it at all. So he's like fanning my face with a huge binder oh, and I'm wow. like screaming and holding myself up on the shower walls. It was, it was intense. And, um, a little, little while later, I let, I let the midwife strip my membranes, which was like the first step in the cascade, right. Of interventions that I should not have let her do at okay. all. That just made things like even worse. And shortly after that, I caved and we had, I had a safe word, right? If I said the safe word three times and that meant that it was okay, I was going to get the epidural and, and I said it and it was, it was Beetlejuice. So I, had I was just, I swear to everything. I was gonna be like, tell me it was Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, wow. So I did that. But then they said the, uh, the anesthesiologist wouldn't be able to be there for like an hour. <clears throat> oh, geez. Yeah, at this point in time, I'm losing my mind. Like, I'm a pretty kind of, like, stoic person. I usually deal with pain, like, really well. But, like, I was, like, a rabid animal at this point. Like, I was going to run the hell out of that hospital screaming. Um, yeah. Give me the drugs. Give me something. So yeah, because they... when you've made that decision, like, you've made the call now. You're oh. there for it. And it's not going to be available like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I freaked out at that point. Mark, Mark just came in and said, baby's down. He's asleep. Thank God. Hooray! Uh, only an hour late today, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> um, good job, daddy. Thanks. Uh, he'll be back in a sec. Cool. Mark's also got a uh, fantasy football draft going on. So he's. <laughs> right multitasking today <laughs> i get it he's the hero so i get it <laughs> yeah sorry um so yeah i was like super panic mode at this point i'm like gonna rip my hair out of my head and and go running into the woods so i was like give me drugs so they came and like just gave me some kind of narcotic to calm me down okay um at that point and it was enough to like knock me out 
but I would still like during a contraction, I would like sit up screaming and then like fall back down again. Turns out I was in so much pain because Tucker broke my tailbone. Oh my gosh. And so like every contraction was just like, you know, digging into this like injury over mm-hmm. and over. And it was awful. So I, yeah, long story short, I got the epidural. Um, and then of course they wanted to start pushing Pitocin because I'm not progressing fast enough. Right. They've got this like chart. I can't remember the guy's name who came up with this chart. You know, the chart of like how fast you're supposed to dilate over time. Oh, okay. I think it's like the Freeman curve or something. I can't remember. I'll look that up. Made it up in like the sixties, right? Like he knows anything about, (laughs) he should know how fast a woman's body should be dilating or the range of normal. Um, so I wasn't progressing fast enough. So they're pushing Pitocin, of course. And I'm like, I don't really want this, but they did just a little bit and it's still not working. And after I got the epidural, like I went from like, I want to say, so, so I was like fighting labor. So my, I went in at like four and a half centimeters progressed to maybe five. And then by the time I got the epidural, I had closed down to four again. Mm. Cause you know, like when you're in because of everything, yeah. Like my body was just fighting it totally. So after I got the epidural within two hours, I popped open to a nine and a half, Mm. which is crazy. So this is like maybe 12, 14 hours after I'd been in labor. So then I'm at like nine and a half centimeters calm. Mark's parents came. And of course my dumb ass, excuse me, I (laughs) sleep. I should have gone to sleep and I didn't because I'm like, Oh, my in-laws are, you know, I've got, I got to entertain them. Right. Mm. So I'm talking, everybody else is sleeping and I'm talking and entertaining, not realizing that I still have over 12 more hours ahead of me of this, which was crazy. Like I was just hanging out all day at like nine and a half centimeters, not progressing this last half of a centimeter. And of course I'm not because I'm stuck in a bed and, when you're stuck in a bed, your hips can't open up and everything's in the smallest conformation it can be in your pelvis, you know? Mm -hmm. So of course I'm not moving the baby down because I'm immobile. And, uh, eventually, so I'm like that all day, right? Eventually my parents come and go, um, from Ohio, right? So everybody's coming in from out of town and I'm still just hanging out, waiting to have this kid. And I know, so that was like the day of Sunday, this is in the afternoon. And then in the evening around 6 PM, I guess the doctors start talking to the midwife that they want to do a C-section because I've been there too long, not progressing for too long. I didn't know this because she apparently had been holding them off and not communicating with me that this is what's going on, which I really didn't appreciate. And, uh, I hadn't even like really been pushing or practicing or anything, but they basically come in at like, one in the morning and say, you have an hour to get the baby out. So this is again now on wow. Monday. You have an hour to get the baby out or we're taking him by C-section. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, no, no, we've never discussed this. Not even once. And apparently that's when the midwife was like, yeah, they, they have been pushing this for, you know, since six o'clock the night before. Mm-hmm. An hour to get the baby out. So... Me being, I'm, I'm super stubborn and like strong-willed. I uh, just bore down and I used to be like really strong. I had this like strong core because I'm a rock climber. That's like my, my hobby. Mm. So I like grabbed the handles of the bed and I bore down doing this like crunch thing that 
reminds me of, of this like pull up crunch I used to do where you do like a pull up and then like swing your legs and your hips up to one side and then the other. So you really like cranking down on your core. Okay. Started doing that and pushing like that, just really focusing on like contracting my core into this tightest like ball that it could be. And, uh, and I pushed him out within 45 minutes. Oh my gosh. After not like practicing, I never, to my knowledge, opened up to a 10. <laughs> you know, like I just, I cranked down and I got that baby out and, um, you know, tore pretty badly. And, and it was just totally not how I envisioned his birth, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, um, and it was just, it was really hard for me and not even from that perspective also, but at the time, like Mark and I were having some issues, like we weren't a team at that time. Mm. So like to be going through this whole huge thing and, and we had had this discord in our relationship that had happened a few weeks prior. Like I was in a really fragile emotional state mm-hmm. or his birth even started. And then like that just, ravaged me the whole experience ravaged my soul basically i had him he was there but it was not what i wanted or it wasn't the beautiful birth that i was hoping for and there was not that like sense of connection not with the baby because it was there with him as soon as he came he was perfect he was the most beautiful baby i've ever seen born in <laughs> I'm, i know i'm but he was he was beautiful and the one, but the one thing I did get to do was I made him do the breast crawl. So they put him on my belly and even through like the drugs and the, the epidural and everything, he like made his little way up and like on within like 15 minutes and he was eating. He was amazing. Wow. Yeah. And then like, yeah, so we're in the recovery room. This is just funny. I'll tell this real quick because <laughs> I'm, I'm so like strong willed. Like the nurse is showing Mark how to, um, this is maybe an hour after he's born, how to swaddle him. And I'm like, Oh God, I need to see this. I'm in the bed. I need to see across the room. And my epidural was only, it had stopped working on half of my body. It had slipped earlier in the day. Um, I didn't even tell you. So like I could feel everything on one half of my body. So I thought I could totally get out of bed and just stand on this one leg to like try to get a little closer to get a better view of how they're swaddling the baby. And as soon as I like put weight on it, I break down like a sack of potatoes on the ground. Like I just slammed so hard, <sighs> injured my hips, embarrassed, tried to get up <laughs> and did it again. It was awful. Oh, Becca. And I, I'm thinking was, of your tailbone this whole time too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was awful. <laughs> the whole thing. But yeah. It, <sighs> so I was just like, I was pretty beat up. Yeah. Like, after his birth and like you know torn and just all these things that I didn't want to do right yeah. mindful and I'd been doing perennial massage for like weeks before this yeah. and like I do like all these you know natural things to like make this the best it could be and it was it was awful the whole thing so given that did you have trepidate trepidation around even having another baby in no. the future no Wow. No, that's because awesome. I wanted like, what is it like vindication? Okay. Is that, yeah. Is that word? Like, yeah, I, I wanted, I, I wanted a do over. Um, and by the point in time that we decided to like Tucker's four and Evan's 10 months, you know, like I had healed mm-hmm. and 
had like come to terms with a lot of it emotionally. Mm-hmm. Turns out not all of it because it all came like bubbling up to the surface again once I was pregnant with Evan. Mm-hmm. Um, at least like the the healing and stuff that I had to do with Mark and my my relationship and you know with my husband and stuff. Yeah. But like, yeah, I didn't I didn't really hesitate to have the baby because I wanted to give that gift to my son. You know, like I wanted Tucker to have a sibling. That was really important to me. So that to me um, trumped anything else. Yeah. You know, That's a, been a big why. I get it. That's beautiful. Yeah. So then what were your thoughts when you did become pregnant again? And what? how did the birth planning and visualization shift from the first time? Yeah. So it immediately I knew that I was not having the baby in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Doing that again not getting anywhere near anyone that's going to push me onto that, that cascade of interventions. Right. Because I wrote the whole thing. It was, it was awful. Um, so yeah, like I immediately started trying to get my head in the, in the space of birth again, like listening to podcasts. I was listening to the birth hour and I think someone mentioned doing it at home on there. And I was like, Ooh, I should check that out. Found you guys. (laughs) Um, And then I was just hooked. Right. So then I was just like listening to the podcast pretty much daily on my drive to work. My drive's like 35 minutes or so. So I would, you know, get a good episode in usually and then one in on the way home. And I was really like doing my homework and I had, you know, watched the business of being born again just to like validate my desire to, to want to be out of the hospital setting. But still, I was like kind of hesitant about the home birth in particular, I was like still leaning toward the birth center. Sorry. I should say that in the beginning, Mm. still leaning toward the birth center. I was like, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to make the hour drive this time. But this time I'm going to have a real doula was my, my thought. I'm going to hire someone that's independent because I love my friend who was there for me. She was amazing to be there for me through that experience. Um, But it took an emotional toll on her, right? I think at some point, having people that are very close to you may not be the best thing, right? Because you need someone that can like objectively tell you, even when it's hard, like, look, look, B, you just have to push through this. Like, this is going to suck, you know, like someone that will give it to you straight. And um, it's not that she wasn't doing that. It was just really hard for her to see me being in so much pain. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to have someone independent there that could probably, whip me into shape better too mentally. Um, and, uh, so I did some research online and found this fantastic doula in the area. It's the, the, the business is called mob town doulas, but Meredith do is her name. She's amazing. She's kind of an angel. Um, right from the very first like phone call with her, I just felt like so good in my soul. Like, Oh, Oh, you're perfect. <laughs> like You were going to, give it to me straight, come to me with science and facts, but then also be like super emotionally supportive and just like hold the space for me that I need, whatever that looks like. Um, and through her, I started talking to her more about the possibility of home birth and getting more jazzed and excited about it. And she was sharing with me like, you know, info about people that she knew specifically because, you know, birth worlds are all connected doulas and midwives and an mm-hmm. birth photographers and everything. So she was like, you know, giving me the 411 about like everybody around. And uh, 
she turned me on to my midwife that I went with Diane Sellers and said, you know, she is just the most like kind of, she's just super good at what she does. Like she will be there for you emotionally. Yes. But she's the best at resuscitation. If should it come to that, you know, like neonatal resuscitation, she is Mm -hmm. the, she was like, hands down, if I were going to have another baby at home, Diane would be my midwife because I know that she can handle any situation that pops up. And that gave me such a peace of mind Mm. that I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do this. That I could, I could start to envision myself doing it, you know, with someone like that in my corner. Mm -hmm. Um, so what happened? Like pregnancy was going well and normal and everything seemed fine. Um, Tucker. So I did the cell-free fetal DNA testing with Tucker, um, the blood draw, right. To do okay. some testing. I did that at 13, 14 weeks with Tucker because at our first trimester scan with him, he had a hypoplastic nasal bone, which is like 70% correlated with down syndrome. Okay. So that was terrifying. That was like for two weeks be- after we found that out until the time we got the DNA results back, I was just devastated, right? My baby had most likely had down syndrome Mm -hmm. and that was awful. Um, waiting that time to find out he was perfectly normal and healthy and everything's fine. (laughs) He just, you know, development happens on a range, which is why I think it's super interesting. One, one part of it, but it was fine that his nasal bone wasn't as developed at that time because it became more developed over time. Mm -hmm. But anyway, long story short, Second time around with Evan, I went ahead and I just got the cell-free fetal DNA testing right away before I even went to the scan because I didn't want to be in that same boat of like, what if we see a hypoplastic nasal bone again? Mm -hmm. It totally freaked out again. So did that, found out he was a boy. I was super excited. Boy mom for life. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then went to his scan and he did have a hypoplastic nasal bone again. So I'm glad I did the testing. Hmm. Yeah. Crazy, right? Mm -hmm. It's genetics. Genetics are amazing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, totally like cognitively fine and everything was normal. So, you know, pregnancy was going fine. I had found like this team. I met with Diane a little bit before our 20 week scan. And I just thought she was great. And her um, student midwife page they were great. They were perfect for me. It's like, awesome. We're going to do this. And, uh, that was when I had to like convince Mark that we were going to do this. Okay. Yeah. So that's a great segue into how was that and how was Mark in the process? Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to get him. Hey, Mark. Hello. How are you? I'm awesome. It's so great to have you here. It's good to share our story. Very cool. So this is where you come into the mix as far as just getting some of your perspective and experience um, moving into that home birth decision, what that was like for you. Yes, I I definitely took some convincing. Um, It definitely didn't seem something that was safe at first to me. I thought there were a number of risks and concerns I had. But the more education that I got about it, the safer an option it seemed like and it the more natural an option it seemed like. So mm. that's, I guess that's what, uh, getting more information about it really is what changed my mind. Okay. Misconceptions about the process. And what were those? What were you, what were you most afraid of? Just the lack of experience and knowledge of midwives compared to doctors. Yeah. I get that. Lack of 
lack of ability to do medical things. And I guess they, they really can do a lot more than I originally thought. Mm-hmm. I believe Matthew shares in that sentiment as well. You know, he comes from a household of a doctor and a nurse and really just had that context and didn't even really know what a midwife was. I don't think before our, our journey and our process. So, um, I, I can understand that. I think that's very common. Um, what were some of the resources that stuck out for you? If, if you can think of any or, or certain conversations or people who were a big part of shifting that for you. It was the, the documentary that we watched. Okay, oh. great. Business of Being Born? No, it wasn't Business of Being Born. Oh. Was it um, Why Not Home? Yeah, Why Not, why why not, not home. home? That was that was the one that really changed my mind because it followed a woman's perspective. And, yeah. and basically it showed that how difficult it was to do something that seems like it should be a natural process. Yeah. But it was cool from that documentary, right? You see doctors. Yes. Home. Yeah. Right. Making the decision to like do it at home. Yeah. yeah. That was a cool angle and take from that, you know, birth professionals who typically work in a hospital setting choose to give birth outside of the hospital. Um, right. Yeah. It's fascinating. So there, there was a curveball for you all in terms of the planning and something that potentially could have shifted going home birth. Can you share a little bit of that? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, this was hard. So Mark had gone with me to the 20 week scan and everything seemed normal. Every se- everything seemed great. Um, Evan was developing appropriately. Uh, but this little guy, he loved to have his hands in his face, like all the time. He was just constantly sucking on a hand um, at every single scan, even I think his 13 week scan, right? He had his hands in his mouth. So they couldn't get a good image of his face. So they wanted us to come back at, like a week later. So since everything was fine, I was like, it's no big deal, Mark, you know, I'll go by myself. I think you were still working at this time, maybe. So he couldn't have, you know, taken the time off again anyway. So I went to the scan and it's the, the hospital's like right where I work. So it was easy for me to do. So I just went by myself, no big deal. And that's when they told me he has a cleft lip, Hmm. most likely a cleft palate. And I was completely taken aback, like, what? And in retrospect, that's why I think they had suspicions. Didn't I? I actually saw something in the 20-week scan that made me think there was something going on there. And um, and they weren't telling us initially. You know, like the, the text, they can't really say anything, right? They want to leave it up. Yeah. Um, uh, but I had this like nagging feeling, you know, that, that it was going to be that and then come to find sure enough, it was like, there was this dark spot on the scan, um, and by his mouth and, and he had a cleft lip and that was just devastating mm. for me. Yeah. Devastating because, you know, when your baby has a cleft palate, they can't breastfeed. Mm. A lot of women don't understand that even, you know, I'm on this uh, cleft mom Facebook support group. Even a lot of women on there, you see them post all the time, you know, I'm trying to get my baby to latch or baby's latching fine, but I can't tell if they're getting enough milk. And it's like, well, does the baby have a cleft palate? Yeah. Well, then your baby can't because imagine drinking from a straw that has a hole in it. Uh, you can't, yeah. you know, they just can't form a suction. Yeah. They might be able to latch on and move their mouth just fine, but they can't actually pull the milk out of your breast. 
And that for me was devastating because that's such a huge part of mothering for me. You know, I breastfed Tucker until he was 18 months, mm-hmm. a little past 18 months. And it was just such a huge part of that first year that I was just, I was devastated. Yeah. Whether or not you're going to be able to do the home birth still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I, at that point I, I was devastated also because I thought the prospect of home birth was completely out of the window, right? He has a birth difference. A lot of cleft babies go to the NICU immediately. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, I have to be in a hospital again, panicking in my soul, like freaking out about this whole thing. Now I'm going to get cut open. It's going to happen. Like just at a complete loss and, and devastated. And, uh, and, and all of this mind you was like, a week after we decided to do the home birth, like oh, a geez. we met with a midwife and like made the decision. So I was still like riding the high of like, yes, we're going to do this, you know, doing it at home, not doing it at home. And it's funny. Cause even that morning, I remember like on my way to work that morning at that second scan, I was listening to one of your early podcast episodes about like, you know, basically creating your perfect ambiance at home. I can't remember which episode it was, but it was like, just a list or a rundown of things that you guys did that you thought was helpful. Mm-hmm. And I had been like listening to that in the car and like making a mental list of like things that I would also want to do at home and getting ideas and getting super jazzed about it. And then I went to this scan and found that out. And I was like, Oh, just like sucker punched. I yeah. don't know. It was awful. Yeah. Um, I can imagine. So then like, you know, all the tears, mm-hmm. all the tears. I was like halfway through the pregnancy and essentially it ruined, it ruined the second half of my pregnancy. And I'm not proud of that, but you know, like I, I was, I was devastated and I was disconnected from the pregnancy after that, um, which is a shame because Evan is just pure light. He's, he's beautiful, but um, yeah, it was really hard. So you know, I, I mentioned I had this awesome doula. So she, I'm talking with her a lot. Right. And she calmed me down a little bit, like talked me down. She's like, just talk to the surgeon, figure out what you need to figure out. Um, so I think then babe, we, we made an appointment, right? Yeah. We went in, um, mm-hmm. made an appointment. Well, we were trying to figure out what surgeon we would want to go with first because there are different strategies of how you repair a cleft lip. So, you know, it's just so much that you have to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're already like learning a lot for birth and pregnancy and trying to do all this stuff and then, whoa, all this other homework and like, it's, it's all just overwhelming. So I'm researching all these different surgical techniques and, and such, and trying to make a decision about where we'd want to go. Do we want to go to children's hospital, Philadelphia, where they do this one technique, or do we want to go at Hawkins, which is, you know, the, one of the best hospitals in the country. Do we want to go there? And do this other technique that's a little, it's like the traditional way, but still works really fine. They call it stage repair, where they do a couple of different surgeries in a row. Um, So that was like a hard decision to make. But we ended up going with Hawkins because the guy, the surgeon there, Dr. Redette, he just, he's brilliant. He gets like amazing results, even though it is like a two-step surgery process. Um, You know, it's never a good idea to put a baby under general anesthesia, right? doing it twice is a scary decision to make, right? Cause anything can happen. They might not, might not wake up. Um, but we decided to go with him because 
I mean, ultimately, like driving over an hour to get to Philadelphia with a baby when yeah. he was a newborn, he could not be in the car at all. He had awful acid reflux and like he would scream bloody murder anytime we would put him in a car seat. So I was like totally envisioning this. Like I can't torture a baby taking them to chop, you know, like <laughs> several times in a week, even um, can't do that. So we went with Hopkins. We made an appointment, met with Dr. Redette and loved him and his nurse practitioner. They were great. And I told them that this is what we were planning. We were planning on a home birth and was that still a, an option? Was that still a possibility? And he was amazing. He reassured us that, you know, cleft babies are normal babies. They're normal babies. There's no reason for them to go to the NICU. The only reason is that most hospitals and doctors and stuff, they're just not well enough informed mm. about how cleft babies should be cared for. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a cleft palate, you know, you just need to practice with a bottle in a special, like in a different kind of way with a special bottle. It's not hard to feed a baby, but all these babies go to the NICU. You'd be surprised like mm -hmm. um, the NICU and it's just completely unnecessary. Yeah. Um, so he gave us the green light. He said, go for it. If that's where you feel comfortable, if that's where you want to have your baby, have your baby at home. They were both super supportive and they were like, you know, with respect to feeding, you can come in, uh, the nurse, she, Kim, she was just like, come in the next day after he's born, come in whenever I will be here for you. I will help you figure yeah. out baby. And it just felt like, like we just had such an amazing team yeah. between our birth team. And now our cleft team, like, I, I just, I don't know about you, honey, but I just felt like super supportive. Like this, this can be okay. This can work. Yeah. They were very reassuring and, the sense that I had no fears about the home birth and there was no real reason to bring them to the house, bring him to the hospital after the birth. Right. And that's what like, even our parents kept saying, you know, like, don't you want, you have to take them to the hospital. Like, no, it's hard for people to wrap their brains around the fact that, that babies with clefts, they're normal babies. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing else different about him. Some babies with clefts, it's true that lots of clefts, are associated with other genetic disorders. But in our case, it was an isolated cleft, mm. you know, done some blood work and through our genetic screening, there was no reason to think there was anything else syndromic that was wrong with him. Um, so it was an isolated cleft, which means he's a normal baby. He just has a, you know, slight difference on his face. And, and they kept telling me on his palate, you know, like three different ultrasounds, they confirmed, yep, there's a cleft palate. There's a cleft palate. So throughout the course of, you know, the second half of the pregnancy, I'm just getting like more and more devastated, right? Because I wanted to have hope that his palate was intact. And even um, Dr. Odette and Kim, they were both like my, our cleft team. They were like, yeah, you can't really take what they say at face value um, because it's like a 50-50 chance when they're doing an ultrasound of whether or not they're going to accurately diagnose a, a cleft palate. Mm. Like, okay, so really it's just random chance. So they, they can't, they can't do it. They can't diagnose a cleft palate accurately in, in reality. Hmm. So, wow. Yeah. 
So <laughs> that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot between, like you said, na- um, navigating for, planning for a birth, a different kind of birth, and now a whole new element of decisions to be made and new things to learn and understand and be on top of so that, you know, you can be informed enough to advocate for yourself, for your family. That is certainly a lot on the plate. Um, so how did... You got the green light, though. That had to be a huge relief. And like you said, you have this team. You have this support. You have people in your corner. Let's talk about birthing day and walk me through that. Okay. Um, So that was pretty cool. That was, like, uh, totally, I guess, stereotypical, like, what you think birth should look like. Um, It was a Sunday. Evan was due the Friday before. Um, So he was due on the 2nd. Wait, was it the Friday, 3rd, 4th? Yeah. So the fourth was a Sunday. I woke up shortly thereafter. I lost my mucus plug, which I didn't really notice with, with Tucker. And I was like, huh, that's my mucus plug. That's exactly what that is. That's interesting. Um, this is going to happen sometime soon, but still I'm like, this could happen. You know, Tucker was 12 days late. This could happen, you know, anytime. So I didn't get my hopes up. We went for a family hike and, uh, oh no. And, um, Sorry, the baby just woke up. That's why I said, oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, again? yeah, you can take care of him. Thank he you. knows he's being talked about. Yeah, poor guy. He's going to have a rough day. Um, so we went for a hike, and I was just kind of like cherishing that time, you know, that I didn't know it was the last day that we would have together as a family of three. But, you know, those last few weeks before you have your second, you're just loving on the first so yeah. much. Like, mm giving them all you have. Cause you know that they're not going to be the baby anymore and they don't know that. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's sad. It's bittersweet. So I'm just loving on Tucker and you know, we're on this hike and it's, it's awesome. We picked out a bunch of leaves. It was the fall. So we had all these beautiful leaves that we were going to bring home and I was going to like put in wax paper for him. Um, and Mark had like that day, he was like stringing the Christmas lights in our family room. Right. Cause I wanted Christmas lights and, we were like moving the furniture around just to kind of get closer to preparation. And, you know, it just, it felt like comfortable and it was peaceful and it was good. And then later on that night, you know how, when you're, when you're giving birth at home, they're like, you got to layer up your sheets, right? Oh, okay. So like shower curtain sheets, shower curtain sheets, right? Just have extras in case, you know, you get them soiled. They could just take them right off. So I'm like, all right, Mark, let's, let's do this. I had been putting off putting the sheets on the bed. I think you're supposed to do it around 36 weeks is when the midwife said, but I'm so busy at work, right? I've got this like paper I'm supposed to be publishing, like getting out and I'm like super stressed out doing all these experiments. I'm like, I am not putting these sheets on the bed because as soon as I do that baby's coming, <laughs> I've been like avoiding this, trying to milk out some more time in lab. And then I looked to Mark and I was like, okay, honey, maybe we should finally put these sheets on the bed. So we're like putting the sheets on the bed. I'm super huge trying to get a fitted sheet around a corner. We're both laughing about it, having a, having a great time. And then I stand up and pop inside my water breaks. And, you know, I'm Mark couldn't hear it, but it was just like the weirdest, like, you know, underwater popping sensation, you know, like mm-hmm. imagine hearing a loud pop of a cork or something underwater. That's what it would be like. It was so fascinating because I didn't really experience that with Tucker, right? The, the um, midwife broke my water. So that was cool. And of course it's like right after I put the sheets on the bed, right? 
Magic. It's on the bed. The baby's coming. So I run to the bathroom and I was surprised how much water comes out, you know, like I'm just Mm -hmm. like just totally floored and fascinated, like observing this scientifically like, wow. And I keep trying to stand up, but then more is coming. So I'm like, God, I'm stuck in the toilet again. And I'm like sending an email to my, my lab manager because she's supposed to be helping my project along while I'm gone. Like, this is happening now. Here are the last things you need to do this week. Like, oh, my gosh. All this stuff done. It's so ridiculous. That was like, I think, 845 in the evening. And then around 10, I think the, the contraction started. And, and it was so peaceful at first and so fascinating, right? Because I actually got to feel them the way that they're supposed to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Where gradually come on and then peak and then go back down again. And, and so I was like staying in bed. I had been doing like hypno babies. So I, I did that this time to like help mentally prepare for birthing at home. I, I re- highly recommend that to any listeners. It was really helpful for me Same. listening to the joyful affirmations in my bed, like letting these waves like come and go. And, uh, and it was just so fascinating. And they were like coming on strongly, like, you know, progressing. It felt what felt like a normal, reasonable pace. And they were lasting a good time. So they felt like really good, productive waves. And um, and then what happened? Oh, then I decided to get up and go into the family room because I wanted to like have a little bit more of a sense of community with my husband. And he was out there like trying to set up the, the tub. And so I went out and as soon as I stand up, they start getting all erratic again, like the waves, like more reminiscent of what happened with Tucker. So they were like shorter in duration and coming on more frequently every time I stood up. Um, And so then I would like try to lay back down to get them going on again. And I just couldn't get back into that really good groove. So they were just like erratic, but they were like coming at a a reasonable pace. Um, And then I think it was like, hi, baby. It was maybe a little after uh, one, I think, in the morning. So, you know, I'd, I'd done this for a few hours by myself, but then I was like, okay, I think I, I need some help here. So um, that's when I called in Meredith and she came. And then I had a birth photographer that came a little bit after that. And it was just like super peaceful with Meredith at first, you know, like it was still starting to build in my back, which was so devastating to me because I had been doing like, I had been seeing a chiropractor for two weeks or two times a week for 10 weeks before I was born, trying to get my hips in like the best alignment to like not have back labor. That's all I wanted. Right. I was just so scared. My tailbone was going to break again. And I had been like doing some spinning babies moves and all like trying to get this baby so that he wasn't posterior the way that Tucker was. Or yeah, that's, that's right. Posterior. Yeah. Yes. Um, but you know, it's still like building in my back. So it was just when Meredith got there, it was chill. She, I'm like leaning over on a birthing ball, like riding these waves out and she's pressing on my back and I'm listening to my birth playlist. Cause at this point I just wanted some music and it's funny. I didn't actually have time to like make an extensive playlist. So I just picked like five songs, I think that were like, like really important songs to me. And I'm just like singing, singing these songs is my birthing time playlist. <laughs> and, uh, singing these songs and she's pressing on my back and Mark's like in front of me, like trying to like 
hold my arms and hold my shoulders and like encourage me. And, and it was cool. And I'm just singing, you know, like mm-hmm. out for a long time like that. Um, until I was like, babe, what happened? I think I was like, you guys, you guys need to call. You guys need to call the midwives, right? I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And uh, you can bring them in here, honey. Bring them in here. You probably want some mama. Hi, baby. Hi. Hi. Um, so, so what happened? I was like, call the midwives and, and you guys did, oh, wait, she was like, let me talk to her. And you tried to give me the phone and I was like, I don't want to talk to her. (laughs) And that's when she was like, oh yeah, she's ready. (laughs) She's ready for us. So I I think that was around like maybe three in the morning or something. And, um, yeah. Then the birth team came. And so the water had been like, it had been set up and, and I wasn't allowed to get in it. And all I wanted to do was get in this tub. Right. And I couldn't get in the tub until Diane got there. <laughs> that was the rule. Right. Cause it can happen. They said like often if a woman will get in the tub, it'll either happen too quickly. If you get in before your midwife's there, it might bring about your birth too quickly. Right. That the, the midwife might not make it on time. Or you could stall out. So I'm just like waiting and waiting and waiting to get in this tub, hoping that this is going to provide me the relief that I need from this back labor that's building and building and just getting awful. Um, so I'm excited that Diane's going to get there because then I can finally get in the tub, right? And there are pictures of when Diane gets there. I go and I give her a hug. And obviously, like, the look on my face, I'm just so thrilled. Like, <laughs> Diane is here. And then, then I'm like, can I get the tub now? <laughs> as soon as she got there, go ahead, go ahead. So they warmed it up and I got in and the look on my face was just like, it's just relief. I, I started crying when I got mm-hmm. to get the tub, but just like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which was, uh, it was funny, but you know, then it, it actually didn't really help me, which was sad because okay. I thinking this is going to be like a Hail Mary, right? And it was going to like make everything better. And, and then the labor was going to be over, but it didn't, I still couldn't get the relief Mm. uh, from my back at all. So I was in the tub for a while like that, like trying to find a comfortable ish position. Um, I didn't get checked. I didn't want to be checked. And um, I'm still just like, you know, trying to survive, like trying to it, grin and bear. I was grinning and bearing it. That's what my face looked like. If you look at my, my birth photos, like you could tell, like it is not good. And I know labor is not good for anybody. Right. But like, I don't know if you've never experienced back labor, there's just no way to really understand it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's awful. Cause you know, I was feeling it in the front too, right. I'm feeling it in my uterus in the front, but I'm like, it's horrible in my back and there's no relief. and I'm riding it out for probably an hour or so I think uh, is what Meredith's timeline said in the tub after everyone was there and then I was like I got to do something different and I I was like maybe I got to try to go to the bathroom maybe I need to pee right because I've heard that if you don't pee enough then your bladder could like block the baby's progress so I'm like maybe that's it and I stand up and I start to make my way to the bathroom and um, 
I start to have a contraction while I'm standing, which was just the worst thing ever. And like having a contraction on the toilet, like after that ended, I, I finally got on the toilet some and I'm facing the back because that's what they say is the most comfortable. And I'm trying to pee and I pee a little. And then like, as I'm finishing peeing, another one starting and it was just the worst. Like, I know they say that like being on the toilet can be really good for some women. And it was awful. Mm-hmm. It was the worst thing ever. I wanted to die in that moment. Um but I also recognized that something I probably had to be doing something different if I wasn't progressing enough in the tub. So at that point I was like, can, is, is there a peanut ball? Maybe I could try this. So then Mark and I laid down on the bed and they put a peanut ball between my knees and I was on my side just trying to see if, you know, baby would shift or something different would happen. Um, and Oh, before that, I I eventually did let Diane try to check me. I did. And when she started to like, you know, to to touch me, it it was excruciating. And I was like, stop, stop. Um, She felt I had a cervical lip. Okay. Uh, That's what I had with Tucker. And that's what prevented me from like dilating from that nine and a half to 10. That whole time I had an anterior cervical lip. So she had felt that. So then when we were in the, the bedroom, um, she checked me again on my side, which was a little bit more tolerable and confirmed. Yep. There's a cervical lip there. And what she did was she, what were those? She's the medicine. Ar- yeah. Arnica. arnica. Oh, okay. Tablets. She like kind of crushed up an Arnica tablet and put it on my cervix. Um, which I had never heard of before, but apparently that can help reduce the inflammation <laughs> that happens cool. because if you're not dilating the rest of the way and the baby's still coming down and slamming into your cervix with the contractions, it can cause local swelling on your cervix. So she put the Arnica tablet there. Um, and then Mark and I just kind of snuggled on the bed. They gave us some, some time, some space. I don't know how long we were there. We were just snuggling and I was just trying to like, calm down. And that was like actually probably the most peaceful moment I think I had in the labor um, that kind of felt like somewhat of a rest was being on my side there in the bed. But then eventually I realized like, I have to get up. I have to, this has to happen. (laughs) Like I have to try to figure out some way to make this happen. So I'm like, I'm going back in the tub. And then I got up and I had more of those like standing walking contractions on my way because for some reason, every time I would stand up, I would have these shorts, like 30 second, you know, contractions, you know, 30 seconds apart. So I had some of those and um, finally made it back into the tub. And I assumed the position that I was in before, which was the only one that felt somewhat tolerable, was like me leaning forward with my heels under my bum and my knees spread kind of wide apart. <clears throat> so like leaning forward like that. And I was holding on to either a rebozo that Meredith had around her shoulders. And then eventually I was like, just, just sit on this chair. Somebody put a chair in front of my face. I just want to hold on to the chair, just sit there. So I'm like holding onto the chair and like kind of pulling and pulling, trying to get weight off of my lower part of my body by just pulling my upper part of the body up, I guess. Does that make any sense? So I was like, mm-hmm. do as the contractions would happen Mm -hmm. for a long time. 
And then eventually I did feel something shift. So I think between the Arnica and then like just the movement, movement yeah. by the time I got back into the tub and I was like holding onto the chair that way, I felt a shift in the way that the, the waves felt. So they were, they were pushing waves okay. that were, which was super fascinating, right? Because this whole time I just wanted to like, I wanted to have that experience where you could feel the boob, the baby moving down your birth canal. Um, and, but I couldn't feel that. Right. Cause all I could feel was this God awful pain in my tailbone. And, but it was cool to finally feel something different and to be like, okay, I can observe this as a scientist. This is neat. I mm. as much like the, the pushing waves. This was at my, this is like seven 20 in the morning that these started. And I, you know, when it happens, happened, you know, it was kind of like, I was aware poop was happening, but you know, yeah, <laughs> whatever needs to happen yep. needs to happen. <laughs> and nobody really knew that I was having pushing contractions because I didn't really tell anybody because I didn't really, really understand that that's what they were until I could feel the ring of fire. Mm-hmm. Right. And once I felt that, I was like, oh, sweet, this is actually happening. <laughs> like, here he comes. And I still didn't tell anybody. I don't know why I'm not sharing this feeling with people because I'm just like, observing it at this point I'm like separating myself from it a little bit just so I can observe what's happening and I think just that little bit of detachment is kind of what allowed me to calm down mentally enough for this to happen because you know this time after the team got there basically when I'm in like super active labor and it's awful I'm like why am I here why am I why did I make this decision like I should be at a hospital I'm gonna die yeah (laughs) I'm gonna die this is not good and then I kept imagining like going to the hospital, but I'm like, I can't go in a car like this. This will never work. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So like I'm, I'm panicky, right. I'm feeling panicky this whole time. I don't know if I actually communicated it or showed it that much, but the whole time I'm like panicky in my mind. But once that started happening, that I started getting those pushing contractions, pushing waves, then I could like relax and observe. Mm. That then I think that's what really allowed things to move forward quickly. And it happened like I had a few of those and then he was crowning and I was like, oh, he's crowning. And everybody was like, what? And of course, this is like right after my birth photographer had gone downstairs because, you know, she had gone down to get something. No one thinks the baby's like right there, but he was right there. Wow. But lucky for her, um, he crowned like three times. So he went back up. <laughs> you okay? He went back up and then uh, she ran up the stairs and he crowned a few more times. And then, and he was out in like 16 minutes, I think, Mm. of pushing. Like it just happened so quickly. I only had a few of those pushing contractions. And then he was like into the world. Mm. (laughs) It's it's amazing, you know, to see the pictures and to see everybody's like smiles on their faces is like Mark's reaching down and feeling the baby's head and. You know, everybody's just like, he's here and happy. This is really happening. And I'm just like, please happen faster. I'm like praying for these pushing waves, you know, because I know that I can't do this myself. And it was, it was amazing because I didn't push, Mm. right? Like with Tucker, I had to do all the work to get that baby out. But with Evan, I just let him come down and I observed my body do this really beautiful thing, pushing the baby out by itself without me actually having to do it. It was so cool. Oh, I love how you put that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, 
it was fascinating. Wow. What an incredible journey. Um, <laughs> you know, um, as, as we wrap up here, you know, just final kind of check in on like how Evan's doing and then post surgeries and everything like that. If you could just give us a, a snapshot of that. Oh yeah. Well, the really amazing thing was that, um, right after he was born and, um, he, they gave him to me a few minutes later, Diane was like, do you mind if I check Diane, my midwife, do you mind if I check his, his palate? She, she puts on a fresh glove and, and reaches in his mouth and his palate is intact. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he is a miracle, right? Like he has a, a cleft gum line. So his gums are cleft, but the rest of his palate is completely intact. So that little baby latched on and he was nursing within like 15 minutes. That a boy. Yeah. Which was amazing. And Meredith just reflecting on that, like they were all just floored. And what yeah. was, I forgot to say this was that Diane had actually had a dream. Like a few weeks before we had the baby, she dreamt that he was going to be born and his palate was going to be intact uh, and that we were going to have this super joyful, happy, amazing, miraculous moment. And then it actually happened. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, Whoa, like mind blown little miracle baby. Mm. So my devastation of like not being able to mother this baby, the way that I mother, right. Yeah. Cheating was all for not like yeah. all was for nothing because he was perfect and he's you know a normal baby yeah you know minus the fact that we've had to have a few surgeries which is super stressful in and of itself so when he was three months old he had his first surgery which was basically just like a lip adhesion to bring together the two sides of his uh cleft lip into like a a rough close conformation Mm. six months they went back in and um kind of took it apart and made it look pretty again. Mm, Okay. So it's just been like a long healing process. So we're just now like a little past three months after his first, his second surgery. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm still super cautious about it. It's, it's just been a huge emotional toll, right? Like to protect his face, right? Babies move. They put everything in their mouths. They fall all the time all of this is normal and part of how they explore the world and their environment and what they're supposed to do. And, and I've got to be on him like white on rice to make sure that he doesn't like smash his face in this work that the surgeon has done. And so like pretty trying from that perspective, but like, otherwise, like he's a, he's a normal, brilliant little baby. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you bringing that experience and perspective. We haven't talked to a mama or a family with cleft lip or even the possibility of cleft palate. You know, we haven't uh, unpacked that here before. So I really appreciate that to just bring the perspective and to continue to normalize all the things, right? And see what people's yeah. options are and to, you know, find their team that's going to support sure. them. So I appreciate that a lot. And I appreciate you and Mark and Evan for joining us, making little cameo. And yeah. you guys are just so awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. 
Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.